I always feel like if you do something enough, the universe will pay you for it. So I was just always doing it. And eventually someone said, will you come and direct our show? So in the beginning, I was in college, I was waiting tables and I would save up my waitress tips and I would produce a play with whatever Mm -hmm. I had. And I would beg, borrow and steal, like less on the stealing, but I would... (laughs) Like if a theater company had just done a play, I'd say, what are you doing with your set afterwards? Can I have the set afterwards? And I would repurpose their set for my next show. But I would, and I would then talk to like, okay, who really wants to do costumes? Oh, this girl wants to do costumes. Oh, and she happens to work at a costume shop. And then because she worked at a costume shop, we could get costumes there. Also very aware of what other people's talents were. Yeah. And how do we bring people together so that the effect of the whole benefits all of us. Like we're going to make it with whatever we have. As soon as I commit to making it, I always have more. Welcome to Mentors on the Mic. I'm your host, Michelle Miller, a New York City native actress with credits in film, television, off-Broadway, and commercials. Every Monday, I'll bring you an incredible mentor in the entertainment industry, focusing on how they started and how they moved up to where they are today. Thanks for listening, and let the episode begin. So this episode is very exciting because I remember, you know, I I made this podcast because I do believe in the importance of mentorship. And people kept telling me, as I said in the trailer, find a mentor, find a mentor, find someone to mentor you. And I was like, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to find that mentor, get them to hopefully cultivate a relationship and give you, you know, information, experience and their time and energy. How do you do that over a long period of time? And one day I went into a workshop for actors. It was for, you know, creative types. It wasn't only for actors. And there was this woman co-leading this workshop and her name was Kristen Hange. And as soon as she started speaking, I felt just instinctively her. I want her as a mentor. And I didn't really know what that meant. I didn't know how to go about it, but I, I figured it out. And fast forward, you know, I'm asking her to be on this podcast. I've slept, uh, I've like subletted her apartment for a couple weeks. I've gone to Thanksgiving with her and some of friends. Um, And, you know, I've organized her desk for her back in the beginning. That's actually how I started uh, getting closer to her, but um, just always looked up to her. So Kristen Hange, okay, she is a TV, film, and Broadway director. She has been nominated for a Tony, guys. Yes, that is Tony-nominated Kristen Hange. She's traveled the world doing Rock of Ages, right? That fantastic musical. She's also done Bear, which is such a favorite, right? Um, She's also done these incredible films. And we talk about all of it. We talk about her experience shooting television because she has a new show that just came out on Netflix last Thursday, September 10th, right? So a few days ago. So while we record the interview, it was a few days in advance. And now I can happily say this show is fantastic. Um, it's produced, executive produced, and also directed uh, by Kenny Ortega. So of High School Musical fame, Descendants fame, Big at Disney. And so we talk about, you know, getting that call and interviewing for 
Julian the Phantoms, which is the name of the show. We talk about her wonderful book coming up, which I'll put all the information in the show notes. She really has done it all. She's She writes, she directs, she inspires, she teaches. It, the list is endless. This is such a great episode because you really get sort of the stories, you know, as to how she came to where she is today and the specific things she did and how she approached the mindset, how she approached her career as a director. And I really feel like no matter where you are in the industry, this is something you'll really get a lot out of. So without further ado, welcome Kristen Hange. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Michelle. How are you? Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. I'm very excited for this interview. Oh, well, I'm really excited to be here and I'm glad you're doing this. What a cool idea for a podcast. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. What's specifically special about you being on this is that I always thought of you as my first mentor. I feel like I had heard everyone talk about getting mentors and I was like, how do you do this? And someone was just like, you know, just start talking to someone and developing a connection with them. And over time, you know, maybe you'll create something and create. And, uh, and I found you and I was like that girl, I want her, I want her. And so I was like, can I just spend time with you and I'll just help you. I will reorganize your desk. I will just, you know, organize papers for you. What books are you reading? And I just, you in my head were my first mentor. So it's nice to have you on this podcast, which is dedicated to mentorship and finding mentors. That Thank you so much. I didn't know that. And that really touches my heart. I Aww. feel so honored. Thanks. I'm glad. So I want to ask you, I always like to start off these interviews with just what was your first role in the entertainment industry? How did you start? Well, how I started was I was just a little girl who liked to play pretend. Yeah. You know, I was just this little girl that was like, let's put on a show. Let's make something come over neighbor and bring a blanket that can be a cape and you know then a staircase where that's going to be a grand entrance and i just wanted to play and i think all of my impulses to create come from that desire to play and to play with others and so i just loved reading i loved singing even though i've never been the best singer in the world I I've heard you sing and I can disagree with that. Ah, um, I love art I, and I really love uh, storytelling. Storytelling has always been inside of me. Um, and when I got, when I was a little kid, I loved to watch musical movies on television and I loved fantasy and playing pretend. And I, I was always putting on some sort of pageant as a kid. And I didn't know that that was what a director was. Mm. And even through school, I was always organizing groups of people to do something and loved theater, always wanted to be involved in theater. And probably when I was in high school and ended up being drama president, I directed my first play. And then in college, I wrote my first play wow. and directed it. And that's when like the click inside happened of like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do on the planet. Wow. Yeah. And that was early in college or later in college? That was, I was 19. Wow. I was taking a history of rock and roll class. And there was an essay that I read about Elvis's effect on lesbian culture. And for some reason that like hit a chord with me. Yeah. And I wanted to write about that. And so I wrote a play about it. 
And that was the first play I ever directed. And then I was like hooked. And then I was like, what's my next play that I'm doing? And so in college, I was always writing and directing my own plays. And then eventually started directing other people's shows. And then that turned into also producing. And, And then eventually that led into screenwriting and directing film. And on it goes. So when you graduated college, you know, I mean, you knew you liked doing all this because you did it in school. How did you, you know, get some sort of job afterwards? I always feel like if you do something enough, the universe will pay you for it. Yeah. So I was just always doing it. And eventually someone said, said, will you come and direct our show? Yes. And so in the beginning I was in college, I was waiting tables and I would save up my waitress tips and I would produce a play with whatever mm-hmm. I had. And I would beg, borrow, and steal, like less on the stealing. But I would, <laughs> like if a theater company had just done a play, I'd say, what are you doing with your set afterwards? Can I have the set afterwards? And I would so repurpose smart. their set for my next show. But I would, and I would then talk to like, okay, who really wants to do costumes? Oh, this girl wants to do costumes. Oh, and she happens to work at a costume shop. And then because she worked at a costume shop, we could get costumes there. And then I would talk to a young lighting designer. So I was always like also very aware of what other people's talents were. Yeah. And how do we bring people together so that the effect of the whole benefits all of us? Yeah. And, and something I learned from you specifically also about like the universe providing kind of thing is, is what you just said about resources, because I think a lot of people are nervous about not having the right resources, not having the costumes, not having the scenery. And that came to you, but you also were able, you know, you didn't, you trusted that it would come. You, know, you trusted, oh, you spoke to a costume person that used to work at a costume shop. That's a natural fit. Yeah. Like we're going to make it with whatever we have. Yeah. As soon as I commit to making it, I always have more than I think. I love it. I love that. And so I eventually got hired to direct someone else's show after I've directed like 13 plays. Yeah. And, and I started, uh, you know, getting paid a little bit of money and we had a little budget and then that grew to, I got paid a little more. We had a little bigger budget to, I got paid a lot more and we had a lot (laughs) <laughs> a much, much bigger budget. Right. And so my shows grew as my career grew, as my capacity to hold more grew. It makes a lot of sense because right now the capacity that you are holding is tremendous and I'm sure only getting more and more. But so what was, what were some of the first shows that you were like, wow, I'm doing this. This is bigger. This is, this is different. Well, probably Bear was the first musical I directed out of college. So I had gone through undergraduate and then I've got my master's in dramatic storytelling. And at USC, there was a composer and a book writer who'd written a musical. And I had been doing all my own shows myself. And I've been directing a few other people's shows and producing a little bit, but doing a lot of like figuring out whatever resources I can. And they came to me and they had a musical And they were still working on the story. And so I got to collaborate with them really on a dramaturgical level. And we got to figure out the story together and do some readings and figure it out. And they had a production company that was going to produce the show. And that production company fell out. And the composer said, well, why don't we just produce it ourselves? And I was like, well, no problem. That's all I ever do. Right. (laughs) Duh, you know? Yeah. And so. It's ideal. Yeah. Let's go start looking at theaters and let's start making a calendar. Let's make a schedule. Figuring out that we'd figure out how to raise the money. 
And then I started to realize, oh, I remember talking to the book writer and saying, do we need to do like some sort of bake sale or have a car wash? And he's like, I think we're okay. But to realize we had like an angel investor who had given us some money. Yes. And so it was the first time I really had money to do a show. Yes. And it was like a game changer. And I just remember being like, oh, so now what do we want to do? Now what do we want to build? And, and having the ability to dream and then know that you could make it. And that show ended up really changing my life and my career. We opened it up at this little theater in Hollywood and it got amazing reviews. It caught fire. People were in the aisles trying to get a ticket. Wow. Um, the owners of, or the, of CAA came at the time and instructed every agent to go see it. Wow. Yeah. So all the big agencies came, all the big studios came, all of a sudden Broadway producers, Broadway directors I admired were coming. It was literally life-changing and yeah. It, and, and then, you know, it got me my first agent and yeah. A Broadway producer took me to lunch and she said, well, honey, you know, you're going to be a Broadway director. And I remember as one of my favorite stories, I left that lunch and went to the bookstore and was like, I feel like I should know a lot more about Broadway than I do. (laughs) Even though I had a theater major and a master's in storytelling, I was like, well, if this is really, if I'm really going to be successful at this, I got to learn everything. <laughs> That's so wonderful. That I mean, because you were young, right? I think you were what twenty three when yeah Bear, when you were working on Bear. So for that to have to have that conversation so young must be so invigorating. Yeah, it was wild, and and my twenties were really interesting because I always felt like I had one foot into this giant career that felt like it was knocking at my door, and one foot into how am I going to pay rent this month which I think is really what the twenties is, is about. Yeah. But I remember being signed to CAA and they'd invite me to these really fancy parties. Yeah. Where like, you know, it was like, Oh, she, she in Hollywood. Yeah. And then, but parking my car really far away. Cause I was embarrassed <laughs> with what my car looked like. Which I feel like is very LA. I think that happens to a lot of people that like they are invited to parties where they're like, I can't bring my car here. Exactly. Or I've heard like, like Tiffany Haddish, she'd be at like a comedy show that was really big and Kevin Hart was there and she's like living in the car temper, you know, at the time. So she was like, I have to like be very mindful of how to show up to this. So that's very LA. It's not the same in New York. I feel like we have our own thing, but you don't have to worry about the car quite as much. Yeah. And I've always thought being struggling in LA was pretty easy though. Cause the beach is always there and the right. mountains are there yeah. and you can kind of find a way to have a great lifestyle where New York will kick your butt. Like you come to New York yeah. in the winter and you're struggling. <laughs> that is not a cute look. <laughs> you need but that coat. <laughs> you need that coat. So, so the very first time I ever came to New York, even though I was a little girl who grew up loving theater wasn't till I was 24 years old and bear had actually been optioned. Right. And we did a reading at New York theater workshop. How was that? It was really awesome. But I remember it was after the Twin Towers had fallen. Wow. Remember the first time I came, they, they, they were, it was like four months afterwards. And I was like, whoa, I'm never going to know the pre-New York. Yeah. Yeah. But I do remember getting here and being like, whoa, yeah, this is what I've dreamed of. Oh. I mean, did you have to cast a whole new cast for the New York production of Bear? Or was it the same cast coming over? It was the same, but one. 
We, oh, wow. Jenna Lee Green did it in LA and then yeah. did it in New York. Yeah. Oh, I like her. She's, she's, I know. She's, she's still great. a great friend of mine. Yeah. She's oh, marvelous. Yeah. I feel like you collect friends from all these different shows because mm-hmm. I've seen you and you're like, oh, hi, yeah, Money Coleman. So, so what was after? So the Barrett New York happened. Well, and that was like a whole saga of my life. You know, it's funny. You looking back, you go, oh, that happened fast. But at the time, it felt like I get true forever. Wow. So if I was 22, 23, when bear happened in LA. It wasn't until I was 20, 2004. So I think it was 26, 25, 26, when the actual production happened in New York. And in that time we changed hands of different producers, like three or four times Wow. where someone optioned it and then it was going to happen and didn't happen. And then someone optioned it, it was going to happen and then it didn't happen. And then someone did it and it didn't. And all these different Broadway producers were going to do it and then didn't. And so it felt like it was taking forever and it felt like it was never going to happen. And I love to tell, say that out loud because I just remember being in my twenties and feeling like wanting it to happen, but not knowing if it was going to happen. Yeah. And meanwhile, throughout these going back and forth of New York and different readings and workshops, I was also directing theater in LA, including uh, the Pussycat Dolls. Right. Tell us about that. Yes. So, uh, I direct, the Pussycat Dolls, and it was so much fun. So it had been a dance troupe that did shows at the Viper Room, and they would have celebrities come in, and they hired me to, with its creator, turn it into a much longer, like, hour-long show that would happen at the Roxy. And it was these beautiful burlesque dancers, gorgeous costumes, so much fun, and had these really incredible celebrities like Gwen Stefani, Christina Aguilera, Charlie Theron, Nika Costa. It was really wild. And so it became like a who's who. Like everyone in the audience was like rockers or celebrities. Wow. I am 24 at the time of doing it, and I am deep in my tomboy. Like I am wearing cargo pants and high tops every day. And I, it's almost like I don't even know how to be a girl. And I'm around- <laughs> incredible dancers. And I was like, whoa. So I'm in the back of the theater directing and these different rockers. I remember Carmen Electra was in the show and she was dating Dave Navarro at the time. So he was one of the different rockers would come in and sit in the back of the theater with me and we'd end up chatting and they would tell me stories of, oh, I remember the first time that we played here. I remember wow. Rock telling me about like his first time, you know, coming to the Sunset Strip. I would just absorb stories from whoever would tell them to me. Yeah. And I was like, oh, there's some Something interesting here about a venue where people come to for their dreams to launch and some happen and some don't. And in these conversations, like the sound guy would chime in, the owner of the Roxy would come through, his son. And so there was like this bar culture that was kind of interesting to me. Also having to come there like really early in the morning and you could smell like kind of that so like alcohol. Alcohol. Yeah, it's like cigarette. Sm- urine like urine. it's all kind of smells from the night before and you're like yeah. Oh, oh yeah and, and it's like just such a specific smell but I kept thinking oh I think there's a musical in this mm. and then Bear finally goes and 
I'm so excited for Bear to Go. And we are about to move into another theater. So at the time, what is now New World Stages was going to, was opening for the first time as Dodger Stages. And we were going to be the oh. first show to move in there. And over the summer, we had made a CD sampler when we still made CDs. And we made 50,000 of them. And they're everywhere. Wow. And their posters were on every telephone booth in New York. Like wow. this is back when we had telephone booths and, uh, we had, and, and, and then giant signage. Like I remember this whole building with like a giant bear billboard on it and wow. being like, here we go. And then I got a phone call right before we moved in, the move started that their funding got pulled and it wasn't moving forward. Oh my God. Yeah. And it was the same weekend. Uh, the boy I was dating broke up with me and I remember just being like, well, this weekend, <sighs> and that same weekend, I got a phone call from Matt Weaver, who was a producer I knew from LA. He, I, I had actually, um, had had a, done a pitch of a film and set up a film with Disney. That's a whole other story at some point we can talk about, about eighties music. And he called me and he said, Hey, we think we can get the rights to some eighties music if you're interested. Maybe. And I was like, I'm on my way back to LA. He's this like, was all in the same week, the same weekend. Wow. Yep. And, but I didn't even think about the Matt call. Like it was, that was so like, someone just yeah. called me and talked about 80s music, yeah. but it was the same weekend. And I go back and I go wow. and I have a meeting with him and he said, you have any ideas? And I said, well, I've always wanted to do something about the Sunset Strip. Wow. So he's like, go find a writer. And I, I mean, that was like me listening to my gut. I, I like, I really did the envision who would be the perfect writer for an 80s power rock musical. And I just like got this vision of a guy was like really funny who was also in a band and had like a kind of like a really guy buddy sense of humor and I called my agents and I'm like I'm looking for a writer like this and they're like they're like we just met with that guy (laughs) and and then I ended up meeting him at the coffee bean on sunset and we met each other that's bizarre Kristen I mean I know that's how the universe works but yeah wow just the fact that you thought let me call my agent and your agent was like I just met with that person yes it was just like that and he and I when we first sat down this is funny we were like just so jaded about all the ups and downs we'd had in our career so far right the <laughs> yeah. recent ones the recent ones and we're just like you're in our 20s right and now, now coming to late 20s and he's he's like well let me pitch you the storyline and we went to his car he had a little mini cooper and he like walked me through the story as he saw it and that's basically what rock of ages is six months later we were in our first workshop six months after that fast fast, we were in our first production we had a crazy production at a nightclub in hollywood that had a good seat about 800 people in it the cast was laura bell bundy james snyder Jerry, James Snyder, who's, you know, Harry Potter on Broadway. Yep. Uh, Chris Hardwick, Dan Finnerty from the band, Dan Band, and Kyle Gass from Tenacious D, and a gazillion dancers. We had so right. many dancers. Wow. I, do you know uh, Willem from RuPaul's Drag Race? He was in yes. the cast. Oh, Catherine McPhee was in our original cast. Before no, I had no American idea. Idol. Yeah, all these things. I mean, that's kind of the fun of having a career is you just get to watch people's paths do what they do. Right. And... We, it was wild. That production was so wild. The audience went crazy, but it was rife with problems because we're in the middle of Hollywood. Uh, I mean, 
I think, you know, half the crew is doing blow backstage. Someone crashed the prop truck into like a telephone pole. I had like many stage managers quit on me because it was too ridiculous. I think one of the dancers had to go to the emergency room during tech. The electricity kept going out in the building and we'd like lose our cues. It was it was like the wild west of trying to do theater in a Hollywood nightclub. Oh my God. It was insane. I was listening to Eckhart Tolle at the time. And I just remember <laughs> being like, um, it was like, it was New Earth before he, it was on uh, Oprah's book club. And I just oh. remember being like, Let's find your center, find your center, uh, be in non-reactiveness, be in the present moment. Oh my God. And uh, so we move over to Renmar Studios, which yes. is a soundstage. And... It was really fun. And so many people came and saw it. And it was really an event. We knew we had something. But at the time, we were, we've been really focused on like it being the spectacle. Our producers always thought we'd go to Vegas. And then they called us up and they said, okay, we're going to Vegas and we're going in two weeks. And I remember getting off the phone and crying because I was like, we're not ready. We don't have a technical director. We can't go this fast. Oh my God. And Vegas ended up being a total disaster. And every casino said no to us. No one was interested. And it wow. crashed and it lost so much money. And... Then there was a time where we thought we were going to regroup and go to New York. And we were kind of excited about that, go off Broadway. And the funding didn't come together. And then it was dead. It was dead. Wow. Like, basically, we couldn't get over what a disaster Vegas had Vegas been financially. Had and and so we were just dead, dead, dead for a year and a half. And so there was this time in my life where I thought the project was dead. And it was in that year and a half when the project was, it felt like, it was never coming back that I started teaching for the first time. Mm. Which is a huge part of your life. I feel like, because mm -hmm. not only are you really, really good at it and have like really changed people's lives, but also, I mean, you're still doing it today. So what, how did you start teaching? What did you start? Teaching? Well, there was another breakup. So there was a breakup and rock of ages was dead in the water. Wow. So you've been there before. I mean, this is oh, yeah. a little deja vu. Yeah. Phoenix rising from the ashes. I'm very good at that move. And, um, uh, I, I, I had lived with him and it was fresh off the breakup. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, it was within, I, I, I want to even say the same two weeks that the breakup occurred. Wow. And, and, and we found out the show was moving forward. And so then suddenly I'm like sleeping on my best friend's couch going, uh, what, what do I do now? And, you know, at this time I had, I had had a fair amount of success, you know, my first screenplay, I didn't even talk about this, like in my early twenties was optioned by Lee Daniels. I had had set up a film at Disney, like, oh my God. so there's all these things that had occurred, but I was like, what is going on? I feel like mm. it's not, something's not breaking through. And I had been, I had started journaling practice in my mid twenties and always been able to hear wisdom through my journaling. And that's when I heard teach and you know, the story, I was I like, no way. Hell no. I don't want to do that. My parents are teachers. Mm -hmm. And I, I think the fear was if I start teaching, then I won't get to ever do right. like somehow it meant that I, I, I failed in some way was the fear. Yeah. I can, but I was like, you know, the question that was in my mind is what could I get paid for that 
I'm, people already asked me to do. And right. what people were always asking me to do was to read their scripts and give them notes. And what I, I knew I was really good at is helping people who were stuck creatively, mm. especially get their like negative thoughts out of the way so that they can let their creativity flow through them. It's like my favorite thing to do, as you know. And, and I, so I sent out an email just to see who was interested. And I got three students. Amazing. So, so I started with three students and by the end of the year, I had 40. And what also occurred in that year is that my number got passed on and ended up, ended up getting passed on to some really like high profile TV writers mm. who then passed my number on in their circles. So I had a lot of great clients that I was working with privately at the time. Nice. So I actually remember this time in my life, I was living in this place I loved in Silver Lake. I had students I loved. I had clients I loved. I still had projects that I was developing, but I had this deep sense of like peace of, okay, well, if this is my life. I am totally cool with it. Like I actually really, I, I was in a really great shape. I was in a running group. I was like having a lot of fun. I was like dating someone new and I felt really good. And I, and I was growing a lot spiritually at the time. And I realized that what I was really doing, what people were paying me for was a certain amount of metaphysics right. it, through my writing teaching. And, but what then I also realized is story structure mimics how we learn in life. So every story really is some sort of universal law, a spiritual teaching that goes through the process of how we learn. So to me, storytelling is spiritual math. And that's why I loved to do it again and again, because it's also always teaching me about me and realizing mm. that anyone who ever comes to me is actually my teacher and I get to learn from them yeah. and they all have deep gifts to share with me. <laughs> so about the time I'm really in peace with this, I remember running around the Silver Lake Reservoir. Here I Go Again came up, the song that's in Rock of Ages. And I just like had like a little trickle of a tear come down my cheek of like, I do really love that show. Yeah. And I got a phone call later that day from Matt Weaver, who got me and Chris Renzo on the phone and said, you guys, I think we're going to Off-Broadway. And I think by that time, I was really ready for it. I mm. had grown a lot in ways that I had, I wouldn't have been ready before. And so... That call is so different from the previous one you were talking about when they gave you the call that you're going to Vegas and you were like, we're not ready. It's like, it's almost like not only was the show not ready, but you weren't ready mm -hmm. and now you're at more at peace. And so you're getting a call, this a similar kind of call. Yeah. Different reaction. Yeah. And so we went and we went off Broadway and the show, it was, it was just all the right things came together. Mm. The right people were hired everything fell into alignment in this really beautiful way. And the show was so fun. We had such a great cast off Broadway. We knew we had something. And then one night I saw my producers in the back of the theater and they were like in a good mood and cheers at each other. And, and I was like, something's up. And I thought that we had a tour maybe like, maybe we were like the show was going to tour in Germany. And maybe two weeks later they called me and told me that we were going to Broadway. What was that um, call like? life-changing. And I remember watching the Tonys that year of 2008 going oh, one day and I didn't realize it would be the very next year. Like we never know timing. Yeah. And that them calling me to tell this, me the show was going to Broadway also aligned with like this, with a breakup, like wow. so of, of my next relationship. So now I'm like in this 
heartbreak, but I'm, my show, my very first show ever is going to Broadway. Yeah. So it was like, oh, okay, here we go. Life doing all the things that you do. Oh my God. And I remember feeling deeply, deeply held by the process of bringing that show to Broadway. You know, we had just had the economic crash. There was the Lehman Brothers. People needed hope and they needed they not only do they need to feel good, the theme about Rock of Ages, what it's truly about is you may think you may have plans, you may think they're going one way, but even if all of that doesn't happen, if you have true connection, if you have love, that's like the the biggest success in the world, right? Those other things, those those are faults. They're false ideas of what you think are going to make you happy. But like what truly makes you happy is like this soul, human connection and the ability to like be with each other, to be in community. So, yeah. And and I think what we didn't expect is for the show to hit the way that did and for it to get great reviews because that show had never gotten a great reviews. Every time we'd ever done it, people hated it. Like audiences loved it, but critics hated it. And Chris did a lot of work on the book. I was going to ask well, off Broadway. Yeah, Chris really did a lot of work on the book, going to off Broadway and then off Broadway to Broadway, mm. and things. It was all of a sudden we like got it. All things, all of a sudden things clicked. All of a sudden the arcs came together in different ways, mm. and it really solidified in a beautiful thing. But I, I remember feeling really held in that process. Wow, and really like guided and very certain that the everything that was happening even if they looked like challenges during that process that that all of them were gifts and all of them were helping us i almost felt like even if you know obviously obstacles come but it it almost felt like you were above it that's that's the impression i'm getting like you were above the obstacles you're like i can handle all of that kind of yeah and and that they were bringing a present they were like bringing something good that we needed yeah not to like like to open to them right yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. And so how is, how is the reception for that? Because I mean, well, no, obviously the reception was incredible. I mean, you got five Tony nominations, mm-hmm. was it? Yeah. And then you it, got nominated for, how is that call or how is that seeing that? I mean, talk about like hitting my knees yeah. and like all the tears. Yeah. Yeah. And after like so much consistent effort in the direction of right. my dreams. Um, yeah. And you were young. I mean, we don't, we can totally cut this part out, but no, I'm I happy to tell we're 31, which is my 31 now. Uh-huh. So I had this tremendous respect and love and admiration for that because at 31 to receive your first Tony nomination, <sighs> that's so incredible. Thank you. Yeah. So yeah. what happened after that? So after that, I went back to LA Yeah. You know, I actually had this really interesting thing where I started my own production company and I learned so many things. I learned a lot of lessons and I learned a lot of uh, tough lessons too in that process. I learned what I was good at and I learned what I wasn't good at. Mm. And I also started directing films. So what was going on was the rollout of Rock of Ages was happening. So we were taking Rock of Ages all over the world. So I had a few years in my life that I was in a different country constantly. Right. You also, you did the the West End. I know you did the West End. Yeah, we took it to London. We took it to Australia, uh, Toronto, two national tours, 
Vegas. There, I mean, there was a time and that there was a time in my life. I was just always on an airplane and it was super fun, which was also the same time I was doing the production company. So I was, I was spread very thin. And that was the time in my life. I really had to look at like my workaholism and my work addiction. Yeah. I mean, what do you do when you go to like another country to set, do you set it up? Is it like, Mm -hmm. it's like you set it up and you have a local stage manager who runs it and keeps it going. Wow. And so they don't bring in another director while, like after you set it up, they just are like, usually you hire like a resident director. Who's like your assistant during the process. And then they maintain it with the stage manager. But sometimes the stage manager has both roles depending upon. And then there's also the maintenance of checking back with the shows every couple of months to make sure they're in good shape and that the quality stays high. Yeah. It's, it's wild. It's a wild process. And you know, it's, I've talked with Kelly Devine, my choreographer about this before. It's strangely lonely. So even though as you're traveling around the world, you're with your creative team and that's really fun. There's also part of it where you're like always on the road and you kind of like get used to hotel life. Yeah. And so you're working really hard during the day. <laughs> and Kelly and I would always joke about like that time in our lives. We had all this money and no time to spend it. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? We're just working all the time. We're always exhausted. Um, so interesting. But also if you think about it, I mean, it, I think there's some loneliness that comes from creating a show with like a new cast of people and then saying goodbye to it. Yeah. And then going to another place, creating a new cast, creating a new cohesion, and then saying goodbye to that. That also feels like a sense of, I don't know, loneliness, loss of just having to repeat it over and over again. And every day is like Groundhog Day. Right. You know, like you're directing that same scene again. You're directing. Yeah. So, and I am such a person who loves to make new. So, right. um, and then realizing at making new musicals that every new show is like a new, starting a new business. And they all yeah. want to be grown in different ways and no two shows are the same. And they each, mm. you know, you have to listen to them and let them tell you how they want to grow. Yeah. But, and then the cool thing that happened in that time of my life too, is I had always, since I was probably 23, had some sort of movie in development, but never got a movie made. So now, you know, I guess I was like 33, 34, which to me felt like forever, right? (laughs) I've always had, you know, 10 years of having a movie in development. I've never, you know, I shot shorts, but never, you know, made a feature. And I, but I had all these films in development. And I think at the time I actually had I had two films I really wanted to make. One, which is a film called Dear Dumb Diary that I was doing with the Zuckers, right? So like Jerry Zucker, who did Airplane in those movies. Yeah. And, and then this film called Naomi and Eli's No Kiss List that I loved so dearly. And I felt like, I was like, why can't I get a movie made? You know, just I felt like, I, you know, like I was getting cock blocked yeah. by, by the universe. <laughs> and I remember having dinner with Doug Lyman uh, with a group of people. And he had was making something. He was director of Swingers, and he did the first Born Identity, I think. I don't know his resume fully, but I remember he was shooting something at the time mm. that hadn't been greenlit from the studio. But he just picked up his camera and started shooting footage and was sending it back to the studio. And I was like, oh, oh. that's it. He's not waiting. I had been waiting for someone else to greenlight me oh. in order to go. Yes. And I never did that with theater. With theater, I just go, I have a script. I'm going to plan a reading. Okay, I'm going to do a workshop. I'm going to do the next thing. But with film, it was like I was waiting for someone else to give me permission. Oh and I God. was like, well, what happened? So I direct this really ill-fated Beach Boys musical in Vegas. It was like 
it was a tough lesson to learn. And I, I like to say like you haven't really failed until you've directed a $10 million musical that doesn't work. And then you can like really know. <laughs> I, I'm a believer that like failure teaches you so much. Uh, but yeah. You know, but, Some but, people say more than success. Uh, 100%. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, but it was, it was such a painful experience in so many ways that I got a call from my friend Ryan Spahn, who's this great actor and writer, and his partner is Michael Yuri. Michael, who is going to direct this film that Ryan had written, but Michael was off to do a series, and they're like, do you want to come in and direct it? And I was like, yes, because something in me knew I had to like pop my director cherry, so to speak. Right. Like I had to, I had to just do it. I just had to jump in to the deep end of the diving pole and do it. And so I did. We didn't have much money, but we're going to figure it out. We made this film with uh, Jake Austin and Tessa Thompson. Yeah. And and it's like a really sweet little indie film that we made. And it gave me confidence to go, yeah, I can, I can, I can do this too. I can do this too. And something happened right after that, that I think the flow of that Deardom Diary got greenlit. And then we went to Utah and made that film, which was amazing. And then right after that, I had this confidence of like, I know I can get Naomi and Eli made and I'm just going to go make it. Mm. I'm just going to go ask for people for money and we're going to go make this movie. And we did. Wow. And yeah. And I, and by that time I shot Naomi and Eli in New York mm. and I was like, I want to be back in the city. Like by this point I like miss theater and right. I like, want to be in the city. So I had always been kind of bi-coastal, but my roots were in LA. So I packed up and I came oh. to New York and you switched it. Now you're bi-coastal, but your roots are in New York. Uh-huh. I know. I'm such a Gemini. I love and it. So in 2014, I moved out here permanently. Mm. And then in 2015 is when I asked Nat, uh, I was like, do you want to start teaching some workshops with me? Wow. I didn't realize it was so soon after the film. Yeah. That's so crazy to me. Cause I was just talking to my sister about Naomi and Eliza. And I think, you know, I was telling her about you, even though she's met you and she knows you too. And she was like, you know, I've seen that film like seven times. Really? Just, yeah. She's like, it's one of those films you can just watch multiple times. It's just such a good, like a good feeling film. That means um, the but world. But it touches to me. her. She's like, oh, yeah, I've seen it. It's not like once or twice. Like I've seen that a few times. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was the, the message behind that movie of like, um, that you have have to like let some things go mm. and you have to like let some things that you really love go mm. and the letting go process is really painful but there's a new life on the other side of it that was a really important message for me to talk about at the time yeah. you know yeah I always feel like my projects are working on me they're always teaching me well it's, it's interesting because not only career-wise have you gone through that but also like a lot of your career stuff also mirrored these like breakups and these relationships. Yeah. So it's like these twofold personal professional feeling of like, I know what it's like to have to let go of something you love, but it's in service to something and, and it's not a bad thing always. No, it's oh. uh, yeah, it's love it. it. Yeah, they're all gifts. They're all gifts. So mm-hmm. I'm sensing a theme, but in a good way. Um, but so, so then at that time, like you said, you started working with, with Natalie Roy. Yeah. And so the desire to talk about these principles, you know, I've always had a deep love of spirituality and where it con- connects with creativity. Right. And and using holistic tools in a way to help people 
free up so that they can, you know, give their voice to the world. I feel like all the answers are planted in each one of us and we need all of us to be open channels so that we can bring our gifts to the world because that's what we need in order to evolve. So Natalie and I started teaching these workshops in New York and we started our podcast because I think yes. you came to us and said, you need a podcast. I'm a- very insistent. Like in yes. retrospect, I was like, I think I demanded it in a nice way, I think. But I, I just felt very instinctively. I was like, and I didn't know anything about podcasts. Like I, I, I have to be honest as someone who has a podcast now, I never listened to podcasts. I don't know why, but I just, first of all, the workshop series that these two ladies did i mean it just created this massive following i mean all of their classes were almost past sold out we would have people just sitting down wherever there was room i was sitting on the floor a lot of the time on you know couches chairs we were sitting on the heaters and it was just overflowing with people and ideas and creativity and we were all in support of one another and i still am in touch with many of those people so that's my thing on on create series but i just instinctively wanted you guys to have something where i could listen or people could listen while they're walking down the street, while they're going to an audition, while they're going somewhere, they just need to pick me up. And you ladies have such beautiful energy. Obviously people can tell from, from this, from listening to this. And I just wanted something where I felt like we can, we can take it away, you know, not just have it one time or twice sometimes throughout the week. And you guys had a meeting because you had also had other people come to you with other ideas. It wasn't just podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. People, want, people want you to make other other types uh, of Yeah, all sorts stuff. of things. People want us to do something with it. And we've been trying to figure out what to do with it. But then the podcast just hit and we're listened to in over fifty countries. Yeah. Uh, we're we just recorded episode one seventy four. We'll we'll, we'll wow. record episode one seventy five later today. So and good. and is and it's been really lovely a, a way to share, you know. Natalie and I have always had this really beautiful friendship where we just share what's going on with us. Right. And we're just such um, spiritual nerds that we're always reading some sort of book or listening yeah. to some teacher. And so we just love to riff off of, you know, what's turning you on right now. Yeah. And, and I think our way into is uh, feminine, but also integrated and really rooted in permission, pleasure and play. And it's super inspiring. I mean, people still, I talk to people about it and they talk about how great it is and, you know, it's done so well. Obviously, I mean, 175 episodes is insane. I remember the day we sat down and we made that first one. We we're like, what are we doing? Um, I think, you know, we had a mic in between all of us. We're like, can we hear everybody? Like, yeah. it was just, and then it just grew, but. Oh God, that's such a good time. But also, I mean, you know, I talk about how like, you know, you were my first mentor and I really wanted to create a podcast about mentorship. But I remember at the time I wanted to start making a podcast for myself. I was figuring out like, what could my podcast be about? And I don't know if it was a lack of, it just wasn't the right timing or also just, I didn't want to sit down and think about it. Um, But I really wanted to make a podcast. And so when I did come up with the idea and I started doing panels about this idea of, of talking to mentors and asking them, how they started and how they moved up. That's when I was like, that's the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, oh, it's even better having you here for this. Um, so the create series all and I want to, I want to plug that in. So everything is available on Kristen's website. Yeah. In, in fact, if you, um, my website is kristenhenge.com 
And then our create website is the createseries.com. Easy. But you can get to both from either. I saw that. And and what's great is you can also get not only free content such as the podcast, et cetera, but also courses from Natalie and Kristen which is amazing and workbooks and different sort of like content between the two of them or individually. So that's really exciting. Yeah. And we just put up a a page of free content that has like a course from Natalie, uh, a course from me and free meditation. So anyone who just like wants to go get juiced up, it's there for you. And it's, I mean, you, you haven't done a meditation if you haven't sat down and had Kristen take you through a guided meditation. Oh, thank it's you. My so love. True. It's so true. And that's how she would start all of our create workshops was a wonderful meditation. I think that's when I started getting into meditation. I do that every day now. Well, and I always feel like Natalie, she's like the meditation guru. She's I've too. learned, I, I've learned a lot from her. Types yeah, of we have yeah, we do. And that's kind and of, they we both, both were complement great. each other. Yeah. yeah, no, no, both were great. I actually used to, uh, I also had a couple sessions with Natalie where I would just do a full thing with like a meditation and she would send it to me afterwards so so now looking back on that time it's so good i was really wild so we've talked about create we've Mm -hmm. talked about your film we've talked about stage i mean not everything obviously because there's so much more than just that but i will like to now talk to you about tv because we have a very special project coming out soon i know that airs on september 10th yes oh mentors uh, Kenny Ortega has always been a mentor of mine. Mm. Kenny Ortega came and saw the theater I was doing. He saw the original production of Bear and talked to me afterwards and told me what a talented director he thought I was when I was wow. just a little girl. And then he came and saw my next production of Corpus Christi. And mm. he said the most beautiful things to me afterwards. Mm. And he has just made it a, like almost like a priority just to keep in touch on my career and see what I was doing and and I always feel he he's believed in me. Mm. And then I have worked with a lot of, of his protégés. So Aaron Lohr, who was in Newsies, I directed in a production of Corpus Christi in L.A. Wow. Um, he directed Victoria in Rocky Horror Picture Show, who right. I directed. He directed Dove in The Descendants, who I directed in Clueless. Clueless, which we didn't and, even talk about, but Clueless and then, was so good. <laughs> and then he directed... Um, Monique Coleman, of course, in High School Musical, um, and she's become one of, she was in Naomi and Eli's No Kiss List and has become one of my dearest friends. Yes. One of the ADs from High School Musical who did all of those movies, um, uh, one of my dear friends, Brent Geisler, went on to AD two of my films and is like, he's like my lifelong soulmate. Oh my God. So our paths keep crossing and, 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 you know, dancing over time. And I was actually on vacation in uh, Italy went last summer. Was it vacation or did you also, didn't you guys do a workshop there? Or was it that not the same time? No, that was not the same time. That Never was a mind. different trip. You know, though we did do a workshop. Yeah, Natalie and I have had, like to do... Uh, like international workshops. Workshops, yes. Because so if you're cool. going to have a workshop, why wouldn't it be in Rome or in Paris? Exactly. Or Hawaii. Wow. So we were... And so, but this was, this was like a straight up vacation and I had had some, I had done like six shows in a row mm. and I'd had some, I, you know, 2019 had kicked my ass pretty hard. And so, and I, I was, I was, I needed to like take uh, a self break yeah and I ended up going to Paris. I'd always had a vision of going and staying for Paris for a long time. And, you know, Natalie is 
at the time was engaged to a Frenchman. She's now married to him. Yes. And so I went and I heard this inner calling about putting my, uh, all the poetry I've written over the years together in a volume. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to do that while I'm in Paris as like a little treat to self. And, but also I had heard this inner voice say to me, Mm. you've been telling other people's stories for a long time. It's really time to tell yours, which is absolutely terrifying. And we'll talk a little more about that. And then I went to Italy and while I was there, I got a call that Kenny Ortega had this new show called Julie and the Phantoms and that I was on the list of possible directors and I interviewed for it. And here was the thing of it, that it was a show about this girl who had lost her mother and so wasn't playing music anymore. And this band who had died in the nineties come back and visit her Mm. and help her heal her relationship with music as they, she helps them heal their relationship with their dreams. So it was just like, so like such a perfect alignment for me. So, um, I ended up getting the job. Wait, what was the interview like? Just, I'm so curious. What is a typical interview? Well, I was in Italy. Right. It was like, I think it was like uh, a Zoom interview with Netflix and a phone interview with Kenny and the writers. And, um, and then I, and then I got a phone call that I got it and it was wild. So yeah, completely magical. So then I left, I went to, LA, I put up this environmental production of Rock of Ages that um, was really difficult because we were turning a, a nightclub into a theater, um, environmental theater. And it was really fun and really gorgeous. And then left and went to Vancouver and shot uh, my, my episode, episode of Julie and the Phantoms, which was so much fun. And it has such a beautiful cast, beautiful inside and out. They are incredible performers. So the lead... Her voice, it's marvelous, isn't it? That trailer, just like the first few seconds I got chills and I was like, I, I, you know, you don't see that. You don't have that every day. And she's so authentic. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, it was literally her first role. Um, Wow. Kenny, she saw the audition, um, you know, the advertisement at her high school about, you know, I think it might've just been like a piece of paper on a bulletin board. She heard about it and made wow. a video, made a video and had never done anything like it. And Kenny saw, I mean, Kenny has the most incredible eye for talent. He yeah. just sees the thing. He sees that spark. He sees the light inside of a mm. performer and, um, which I feel put, like you do too, by the way, but I hear you. Yeah. Well, it's why I admire him so much. When I look at his canon of work and what he's done on, on the planet, like he's brought in so much light and so much joy and so That's much true. love um, and used music and dance and storytelling to do it. So uh, it's no mistake that I, I do just feel honored to get to watch his talent and his craft. And, um, and, and he's definitely one of those artists that inspires me so much of what yeah. I want to do in my career. Wow. Yeah. Well, so I'm curious about that because it says in IMDb, and maybe this is true or not true, but it's, I think you've directed episode six of Julie and the Phantoms. So how do you, I'm curious, how do you approach something like that when the, when the show hasn't come out yet? So how do you get together the other, I mean, do you ever talk to the other directors and like, we need to create some sort of cohesion with all these episodes and 
um, Kenny had directed the first four episodes, and right. I got you know, when I got there in pre-production, I got to watch him direct, watch the vibe he was creating on set, yeah. watch the dailies. I, I was sent the dailies before I even got there, so I could keep up awesome. on the tone of the show, Great. the style, the look. Um, and then I got there, and I got to like really meet everyone, get to know the crew, get to feel the vibe. Yeah, and yeah, and it was marvelous. It yeah. was, yeah, it was really, uh, uh, I felt like by the time it, I was up at bat to direct that I really understood what the vision was. Yeah. I, I feel like that's what we do as directors is really try to tap into the vision of what something wants to be, kind of yeah. listen to it. And this is a perfect one for you to do, obviously, because of all the music. I mean, I definitely see that pattern of a lot of the work you've done, both film, obviously, stage and um, TV now, having music play a theme. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, part of your storytelling, your gift, I think. I mean, not, not, you know, not that you can't do it without it, but it's just, I think, you know, definitely have sensed that. But um, is this something that you want to do more of, directing television? Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely. I've always thought, I've always felt in my heart that was called to, to theater, film, and television. Yeah. And then the project itself dictates the medium. Of course, as we see, there's more TV being made now and streaming platforms. Yeah. And right now we can't do theater. So figuring out what it is we can do and how we do that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's. I feel like it's an exciting time to be an artist. Um, as always, I'm the biggest fan of making your own opportunities. Yeah. And Yeah. And you see um, that in your in your work, especially that revelation you had about your films. Oh yeah, creating that. So uh, yeah. Well, I was gonna say. So now I'm, you know, publishing my first poetry book. I was gonna ask so you about this. So I'm so happy so for you. Wild. Tell me about I mean, that. Well, I mean, talk about being vulnerable. Yeah. Talk about feeling like I'm just putting my whole soul out there for everyone. The title of the book is God, Sex, and Musical Theater. It's on pre-launch. It, Which you can pre-order and it is now, I mean, is it still the number one in the new age releases, right? Oh, well, it was for like one, one day. One day when I did it. deal. But then it goes back down to, you know. It'll like go back up. All of my friends and family bought it. but um, It'll go back up. Um, uh, That's just yeah, on but, pre-order. I mean, the fact that it could go that far just on pre-order says so much. Well, it launches September 29th and I'm on my way now to LA to finish an accompanying album that I'm doing with it. So I have different actresses reading different poems and they'll they'll be scored. And I'm also making um, a music video of one of the poems that Monique Coleman is in. So, so we're going to come out when I'm going to try to get it all out on the 29th. We'll see if it happens. Um, But it's, it's it's like socially distanced filming. It's like me and Monique and a DP, like we're making it. We're going to do, we're going to do that for a while. It's just yeah. be a lot of like, you're there, I'm here and we can make art. Yeah. In fact, you did that. I mean, it's on your website, but I really want to say something about it because it was so good, but you and Natalie did something. It was like almost like a quarantine monologue type of story. Right. Right. And it was for, what was it called? The something monologues? Yeah. The 24 hour, uh, monologue. Yeah, yes. 24 hour it plays was and they do viral monologues. So good. Just, I mean, just like such a perfect collab- collaboration. I know you guys have worked together before, obviously, but just seeing that in its entirety and that's available to watch, I believe, but that was so good. And that was the same thing. It was, you know, obviously you guys, 
don't mind, I think, um, not being socially distant or whatever, but it was socially distant. It was, it was her kind of just doing her own thing and you're, you're directing her. And I think, did you also film it? Yeah. Yeah. So it's possible to create great art, you know, in a socially distant way. And that was just such a light. I got a, you know, an email from the 24 hour plays and they have amazing things with incredible yes. playwrights and incredible actors, Jake yes. Hall, Cynthia Nixon, like these incredible people, Ethan Hawke did one just during the pandemic to be creative and with the resources you have. Right. And I just remember it was such a lift just to go and make something and be creative. And yeah. the name of the piece is uh, called Otherwise Engaged and it's written by Level Holder. And the cool thing is it's fostered this collaboration between us. So we're looking to do something together in the future, which is really fun. Can't wait. It's yeah. so good, guys. Definitely check it out. It's all available on her website. So not only can you see the podcast and the courses and the workbooks, and you can pre-order this beautiful book, which I can't wait to read. But um, and you can see all the other stuff she's done because it's so much. Uh, but you can also see that as well. And you can follow me on Instagram on uh, at Hengi, my last name Love, Hengi Love, and uh, and you can see like what I'm up to and what I'm doing, and I'm I I, I always offer my like small writing class for people who want to yes. do those kind of things. Yes, mm -hmm. which people I mean have walked away with like I I know I've learned from you with writing, so I should, but it's not the same type of workshop I know. But I've definitely taken writing workshops with you before, and they're just phenomenal and very inspiring, and does take you out of that rut of being stuck. So, I mean, I don't know if I told you, I finished my book. So I have a book on all the things I wish I knew at the end. I you know, I'm not sure if I'm going to put this in, but um, all the stuff that I, I wish I knew when I left college about acting and the business of acting. And I pretty much finished it. So I'll talk to you I'm at some so point about that. I'm so proud of you. That's so awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, I'm just so grateful for this chance to come and talk to you about all the good things. I'm grateful for you and my life. I'm grateful for you being on this podcast. I mean, it's just amazing. And I'll talk about it in your intro, obviously, but just all the wonderful stuff you've done. And so many, I mean, now that you're writing, you're writing a book and you've inspired so many other people to write their heart, you know, write their, write their soul and write, you know, whatever inspires them out there into the universe. So it's so nice to finally be able to support you in your upcoming book. Thank you. Thank you for supporting me. And thank you for giving me a chance to uh, share, to share my gifts and to help other people uh, bring theirs to the surface because yeah. we need it. We need all of our light right now. All of it. All of the inspiration. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks Kristen. All right. Hey, I'm David. And I'm Gia. And we're the hosts of Silhouettes JB Podcast. And you are listening to Mentors on the Mic. Hosted by Michelle Miller. Again, thank you guys so much for your reviews on Apple Podcasts. Today, the review that I'm highlighting is Tracy B. Wilson. Thank you. Thank you for this fantastic podcast with in-depth, detailed conversations about the biz. It's amazing to listen and feels like it's a bunch of us hanging out, talking about life and the love of our careers, which is something I'm really missing in these pandemic times. Can't wait for more. Congrats. I love it. Thanks, Tracy B. Wilson. I super appreciate that. I feel like that's kind of one of the reasons why I wanted to make this podcast. And so I'm glad you got that vibe. If you have appreciated this episode or any of the episodes on this podcast, please review and rate on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much. 
Thank you so much for listening to Mentors on the Mic. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend you know would love it. Let me know what you learned or what stayed with you on our Instagram at Mentors on the Mic. I will be sharing even more information about our mentors there. These are crazy times and now more than ever, it's so important to connect. Talk to someone about what you learned today who would really appreciate it and send them the episode. Also, if you love the show, please go ahead and leave us a rating on iTunes. Every week I'm choosing a review to read on an episode. It really makes a huge difference in growing this. Thanks.